the word of forgiveness. Welcome to Cutting It Straight with Pastor H.B. Charles Jr., author, pastor, teacher at Shiloh Church in Jacksonville and Orange Park, Florida. Today's text out of Luke 23, Pastor Charles will study the last seven words of Jesus. Today's message, forgive them, Father, for they know not what they do. And now, here's Pastor H.B. Charles Jr. We praise you afresh, Lord, for the gift of another day, for the privilege of walking today in the assurance of our salvation by the finished work of the Lord Jesus Christ, who is our all-sufficient prophet, priest, and king. And we praise you for the opportunity to bring this day to a close, gathered together in this house that is called by your name, that we might worship you in spirit and in truth. We acknowledge that you are already here, whether we feel you or not. We pray that you would manifest yourself to us tonight in a life-changing way as your Holy Spirit makes plain for us the wisdom of your word. Be our teacher tonight. Help us to lay aside all malice, deceit, envy, hypocrisy, and evil speaking so that as newborn infants we might crave the pure spiritual milk of your word and grow thereby having tasted of your goodness. Help me tonight to speak your word faithfully and clearly. Guide my thoughts, govern my words, guard my heart so that both the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart will be acceptable to you tonight. And as the seed of the word is planted and watered, we know that only you can give the increase. So we reserve for you the highest praise and full credit for all of the fruit that shall come from this time. In Jesus' name, amen. Pastor mentioned in the announcements that tonight we were going to begin a series, <clears throat> pardon me, from the seven last words Jesus spoke before he died, words that he spoke as he is dying, hanging on the cross. We are studying these words over the next seven weeks, six, seven weeks. It's the custom in a lot of churches to have a Good Friday service and have one service where preachers preach through all seven in one service. Instead, we're going to look at these piece by piece over weeks. I have a two-fold agenda that I'm encouraging you to join me in pursuing as we linger at the cross these weeks. First of all, I hope you'll join me as we listen to Jesus speak from Calvary. I pray that over these weeks, our constant prayers, we hear these sermons will be, Jesus, keep me near the cross. And that God will draw us closer to him. And then secondly, I hope that as we hear these words from the cross, God will give us a fresh and great 
an unavoidable burden to pray for and reach out to people in our circle of contact who do not know this Jesus who died for our sins. Tonight, I want to kick off the series with the first of the seven last words. It's recorded in Luke chapter 23. I want you to notice with me verses 33 and 34. Tonight I want to talk about the word of forgiveness. And when they came to the place that is called the skull, there they crucified him and the criminals, one on his right and one on his left. And Jesus said, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do, and they cast lots to divide his garments. Amen. You may be seated. The word of forgiveness. A couple of weeks ago, as I was ending my night, I looked at my phone and noticed that I had a text message from, a, from an unsaved number. I knew I wouldn't be responding to any text, but I was curious. I didn't recognize the number or the area code. So I opened up the text, saw the name of a pastor who I had preached for some years ago. And he said, I know you're busy, but as soon as you get an opportunity, give me a call. I want to run something by you. I called him the next day. We have not talked for many years now. We had not been in each other's company except bumping into one another at meetings in different places. And we exchanged pleasantries, did a little catching up on one another, family, ministry. And he said, I know you're busy at a certain point, so let me get right down to business. And he began to talk about the ministry of his church at the beginning of the new year and how he's challenging his congregation to get closer to the Lord. And one way He's challenging them to do that is to make a phone call, he said. I'm challenging every member in my church to make a phone call to forgive someone you are angry with, you have a problem with, or you are offended by. And I just decided that I couldn't ask the church to do something that I wasn't willing to do, so you are my phone call. And I'm calling to say that I've been upset with you and been watching you from afar, bitter and mad, and I'm, and I'm, I'm sorry, and I want to know, will you forgive me? I said, sure, brother, but there is absolutely nothing to forgive. He said, oh, yes, it is. You don't know how mad I've been at you. You don't know I've been carrying these feelings around and 
Just I, I've been seeing you and I just have just been angry. And I just, I just, I've been preaching, but I know I, I, the Lord can't bless me if I don't get this out. So I, I want you to, I want you to forgive me. I said, brother, as I said, I forgive you. There's nothing to forgive. I don't want to belittle the conversation, but there's literally nothing to forgive, especially because I don't even know what I've done. He said, I know. I ain't going to take up any of your time, no. That's all I wanted to say, and I'll talk to you later. That was the conversation. And I just sat there for a minute at my desk, stunned. <laughs> and I tried to find a word to describe how I felt that afternoon. Getting a phone call from someone who is extending forgiveness to me that I didn't ask for, for something I did that I didn't even know I did. I, I, don't, I don't have words to tell you how I felt, but I hope you leave here feeling the same way. As we linger at Calvary and hear Jesus pray, Father, forgive them who didn't ask for it, for what they did that they don't even know they did. This is the first word Jesus spoke from the cross. The time is Friday, the Friday, that Friday, a horrible Friday, a good Friday. The place is a hill outside of the city gates of Jerusalem. Because the city of Jerusalem is a holy place, capital punishment could not take place within the city limits. So when there was an execution, they'd be marched through the streets of the city outside of the gate to be executed outside. And then there was one particular place where these executions would often take place. It was a, it was a hill which would garner a lot of attention as people passed along the way and just seeing the crosses of those executed as you passed by was a warning not to mess with the Roman Empire. And though today we know the hill is Calvary, the name that it was referred to in the scriptures itself was Golgotha. And Golgotha literally means the skull. If you look at this hill, you know, from a particular angle, it, it, it looked like the, the, the hill was shaped like a skull. And that's what they called it. Skull Hill. An interesting name for a place of execution. 
On this Friday, on that hill, the Roman soldiers have been assigned three men to crucify. There they are, hanging on three crosses. Two of them are criminals who are dying there because they are getting what they deserve. One of them is different. He's the one in the middle. The fact that he's different than the other two is seen just by watching them. If you just watch them hang there. Watch their behavior, watch their reaction, watch their attitude as they hang there. It's, diff it's evident that there's something different about, if you will, the man in the middle. You say, HB, that doesn't help me. I can't see him hang there. Well, if you can't see, listen. You'll know something's different just listening to them talk. First of all, the one on the left and the right are busy cussing and cursing. But the one in the middle, it's obvious he's different by the way he talks. Listen to the seven statements he makes and it's obvious that man is, well, you don't even need to hear all seven. Just hear one statement. Just the first statement alone is good enough for you to see that the man in the middle is different. As he hangs there, he finally, through pained lips, utters a statement for those around to hear. But actually, he's not talking to anyone standing around. He says, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they are doing. A pastor was trying to make a point to his church that what's in us and our hearts, that is, shapes our words, our attitudes, our behaviors, our responses, our desires, our pursuits, our pleasures. He did it by a graphic illustration. He brought a clear bowl to the pulpit filled with water. He took out a little tube of blue dye and poured it in there and the water turned blue. And then he pulled out a sponge and asked rhetorically, if I put this blue sponge in the water, this sponge that is in the water, what color will the water come out of the sponge? And they played along blue. He said, well, let's see. He dipped the sponge in the bowl, pulled it out, and began to wring out the water, and obviously the blue water came dribbling out. But it set him up to make his point. When life puts the squeeze on you, what's in you is what inevitably will come out of you. Here at the cross, Life 
and evil and the world and the devil and wickedness have put the squeeze on Jesus. And in this moment of truth, what comes out of him? Not a curse, but a prayer. Are y'all going to help me here tonight? Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Let me make a pulpit confession. I'm tempted. I am tempted tonight to rush from Skull Hill to your front porch and dump this first word at your front porch and use it to challenge you to forgive the unforgivable. I I'm tempted for the next 40 minutes to just lean on you and say to you tonight that if Jesus can forgive, why can't you? But we'll leave that for another day. Maybe we should just linger here a little longer at Skull Hill. And listen, because the grandma says he keeps saying, Father, forgive them. And consider what this passage teaches us about this man in the middle. I submit to you tonight, church, that to see the cross, to truly see the cross, to rightly see the cross, to properly see the cross, to see the cross is to behold the heart of Jesus that is filled with forgiveness. Consider this here in his invocation, his petition, and his motivation. Those are the three elements of this simple little prayer. Let me walk you through it as quickly as I can. Here, Jesus prays. And the passage begins with invocation. The invocation of Jesus. Father. One of the big theological issues of the day is the issue of theodicy. Theodicy wrestles with the issue, if God is good, why, why do bad things happen? If God is good, why is there so much wrong in the world? If God is good, why is there injustice in the world? With things going on, race and politics and poverty and injustice. Uh, these questions are real big questions that people are struggling with in areas of their faith. The question of injustice. The challenge of addressing the issue of theodicy is that in a real sense, the more you read the Bible, the more you get a sense that the Bible is not as eager to answer that question as we are to have an answer. And then, when the Bible does answer how you should respond to injustice, we don't like the answers. 
How should you handle injustice? There are preachers in pulpits that will tell you, march and fight and protest. Not a lot will give us the advice of Jesus here. Here, in the most unjust act of human history. How did Jesus respond? He prayed. <laughs> oh, usually y'all be shouting over prayer. <laughs> it's hard to pray, ain't it? When you have been wronged, when you have been offended, when you're getting the short end of the stick, the answer is just pray about it. But this is how Jesus replies to injustice. He prays about it. He he gives it to God. When I was a boy, they used to say about Jesus during this whole ordeal, he never said a mumbling word. Well, that ain't totally true. The, the Lamb of God, says Charles Spurgeon, was silent to men, but wasn't silent with God. When, when no one else would hear about his injustice, he took the matter to the Father. And in fact, the Bible says in 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 23, that when he was reviled, he did not revile in return. And when he suffered, he did not threaten, but he continuously entrusted himself to the God who judges justly. He didn't take matters into his own hands. He put himself in God's hands. And notice the, the level of trust with which he does it. As he prays, he says, Father. This is how Jesus always addressed God throughout his life and ministry. Father, 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 Father. In fact, there is only one time in the scriptures where Jesus does not call God Father. Only one time when Jesus calls the Father God. It is, just come back three weeks from now. It is when he is hanging on the cross, bearing the guilt for our sins. And in that moment, in the darkness, God is so angry at the guilt of your sin and mine that Jesus buries that he turns his back on the sun. And the sky gets dark. And from the darkness, as Jesus is bearing your guilt and mine, he says, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? But thank God the story didn't end there. B because before he died, he laid down that God talk and started talking father talk again. His last statement is, Father, into thy hands I commend my spirit. That last father in the seventh word from the cross is a statement of submission. It was time to die and he says, Father, I put my spirit in your hands. 
But this first word, this first reference to the Father is not a word of submission. It's a word of trust. Listen to Jesus say, Father, you are letting the worst happen to me, but you're still my father. <laughs> Y'all not in here with me tonight. Uh, you didn't let that cup pass away. You are making me drink the bitter cup, but, but you're still father. And the implication I want you to get from this before I move on is that whatever gruesome thing that was happening at the cross, the father and the son were on the same page. Y'all not listening to me here. They were, they were working together. This, this was an intertrinitarian agenda being accomplished at the cross. Calvary is about what God did for God. I'm going to just preach till I feel better tonight. The, the prayer then begins with the invocation of Jesus. And then it moves to the petition of Jesus. Jesus, in this moment of injustice, prays. He begins with the invocation. This is how you address God, how you begin a prayer. <laughs> when I was young... My buddies would call the house. My daddy would pick up the phone. Hey, may I speak to HB? My dad said, can you speak to me first? <laughs> it's my house. It's my phone. My son. And it just got to a point where when the phone started ringing, I just rushed to answer the phone. So he didn't embarrass me in front of my friends. But he, he was right. Don't, you don't just pick up the phone, start talking that way without without introducing yourself or addressing the one who actually is in charge there. That's how prayer ought to work. You ought not just pick up the phone and call him and start spitting out what you want. You ought to, you ought to, you ought to approach him carefully recognizing who he is. That's invocation. That's how prayer ought to start. That's how Jesus said. He, he doesn't begin with request. He begins with invocation. Father. And after invocation is petition. And I want you to consider tonight, in this petition, what he prayed and for whom he prayed. For what did Jesus pray? Jesus, in a moment of injustice, Righteous hands being nailed to the cross by unrighteous hands. Jesus responds by praying, praying with full confidence in God, calling him Father. But it's not just remarkable that Jesus prayed. You know, in World War II, they had a saying soldiers picked up. They would say that there, there are no atheists in foxholes. You can say you don't believe in God, but when you're in a hole and bombs are dropping, everybody start calling on God. That there's no atheist in foxholes. So it, it may not, you know, all of us know how to pray real good when trouble comes. 
It's not just that Jesus prayed here. It's, it's that as he's praying here, he's not praying for himself. It's not a Lord help me prayer. This is not a Lord save me prayer. In the Garden of Gethsemane, he prays for himself. Father, if it be your will, let this cup pass from me. Not here. Here when he needs the Father the most, he calls on him and prays for someone else. He prays not just for anybody else. He prays specifically for his enemies. The very people who have nailed him to the cross, beat him, spit on him, stabbed him, put a crown of thorn on his head, stole his clothes and a now, the text it says, gambling for his clothes. So they'll have a souvenir to talk about back at the barracks. He prays for his enemies. And consider that as he's praying for his enemies, he ain't praying, you know, a Samson prayer. Y'all know who Samson is. Samson is the strongest man that ever lived. Read about him in Judges 13, verse 16. He's the strongest man that ever lived. He, you know, he just had a habit of going to sleep at the wrong place. <laughs> and because of his disobedience to God, his hair was cut and he lost his strength. And the enemy, the Philistines, took him back and put his eyes out and made him grind the mill. And one day when they're having a celebration of their God, they bring out Samson. Because this is a trophy of the greatness of their God. And while they are mocking Samson, Samson says to the young man leading him, lead me to the pillars upon which the building rests. And there in, first, in Judges chapter 16 verse 28, Samson prays, oh Lord God, please remember me and please give me strength one more time. That was good prayers to pray. Remember me, Lord. Give me strength one more time. Oh God, that I might avenge these Philistines for my two eyes. Yeah, he prayed for his enemies. He prayed for strength so he could kill all the people that put his eyes out. And he knocked those pillars down and the whole building came crumbling down and he killed more people in his death than he did in his life. But Jesus, the one that had the right and the power to do that, doesn't pray to avenge the wrong he has suffered from his enemies. He prays, Father, forgive them. Mark it down. Forgiveness is costly. question is, uh, is this an answered prayer? Listen, I don't know how the dynamics of all this work. I just know that at the graveside of Lazarus, Jesus announced to the Father, Father, I know you always hear me. Jesus has no unanswered prayers. 
To make sure this prayer is answered, Jesus suffers the injustice and dies to make forgiveness possible for the very people that killed him. Y'all not listening to me here. I would suppose that day that God the Father has two options. In this moment of crisis, he can abandon the guilty and send down judgment and wrath and punishment. Or he can abandon his son and let the innocent suffer on the behalf of the guilty. And somehow in the miracle of grace and the mystery of the Trinity, somehow God at the cross, God in some way we'll never understand, God forsook God so that God could say to you, I will never leave you nor forsake you. Are y'all in here with me tonight? This then is the example of Jesus for us. Read Acts 7. I need to move on. But if you read Acts 7, you'll find that later a witness for Jesus named Stephen is being stoned because of his preaching of the gospel. And as he is dying, his last statement is, Lord, don't hold this against them. This is the spirit of the Lord Jesus Christ who prays for forgiveness of his enemies at the point of death. But, but let me lean into that. Not, if you ain't blown away by what Jesus prayed, just think a minute with me about who he prayed for. Father, forgive them. What them? Well, I guess the soldiers who had nailed him there, gambling for his clothes. What them? The sneering crowd. They said he saved others, he can't save himself. What? What then? The indifferent onlookers who just showed up today to see another Roman crucifixion as if it's another episode of their favorite reality TV show. What? Them. His cowardly disciples who just hours ago, some of them vowing to be with him and have deserted him and left him. What? Them. Caiaphas and Pilate and the other religious and political leaders who are more concerned about political expediency than righteousness and truth. What them? Y'all not, not getting it yet, but I'm coming. What, what, what them? The, the, the religious establishment that, that, that paid false witnesses to lie on Jesus so that they couldn't condemn him. What? What? I, if I keep going, we'll be here all night. I'm trying, I'm trying to expand it so you get it. I, I'm talking about all them who sin, 
that includes the them in, on Beaver Street tonight. Y'all not listening to me here. I'm trying to get you to see that it was sin that put him on that cross. And if it was sin, the people standing there were guilty and the people sitting here are guilty. And he is praying for us tonight just as much as he was praying for them. Father, forgive them. Well, they know not what they do. Aren't you glad God knows what you need the most? If our biggest need was, was political, he would have sent a politician. If our biggest need was financial, he would have sent an economist. If our biggest need was entertainment, he would have sent an actor. But because our greatest need was forgiveness, he sent his only begotten son who lived the righteous life that we should have lived and died the death that we should have died. God knows what we need the most. And aren't you glad he doesn't just give us what we want. He gives us what we need. We, we need we need forgiveness. And the good news of the text is, I said in the last point that forgiveness is costly. But you're not, you, what you're missing is, it cost him so it could be free for us. Jesus paid it all. All to him I owe. Saying it left its crimson stain, but he washed it white as snow. One last thing. I wish y'all was enjoying this tonight as much as I am. I got one sister enjoying it with me. <laughs> there is the invocation of Jesus' Father. There is the petition of Jesus. Forgive them. There's the motivation of Jesus. They know not what they do. Early as a young pastor, in the baptism by fire of pastoral counseling, I learned it's hard to help people work through stuff if, if somebody is so angry, so bitter, so offended, etc., that they can't give the, the other person the benefit of the doubt. Nobody gets everything right. Nobody's all right. Nobody's all wrong. And no matter how upset you are, if you, if you can't in any way give the other person somehow some kind of benefit of the doubt, in a lot of instances, that says more about you than the other person. One of the great African-American preachers of the last century was a man who served in Los Angeles, a friend of my father, named Manuel Scott Sr. World-class preacher, but he was also known as a kind and gracious man who you just really couldn't get to say nothing negative about anybody. People say you just never heard Manuel Scott say anything negative about anyone. And they said that one day they were at a convention and whoever was preaching that day missed it, flunked. 
blew it big time. And all the preachers wanted to know, we got Scott now, how in the world is he going to find something to compliment in that horrible sermon? They found Scott and they said, Doctor, did you hear the message? He said, I heard it. He said, what you think? And in typical Scott fashion, he said, well, at least he had a good text. <laughs> when you're able to see the benefit of the doubt, it's, it says more about you than it does about the other person. There is nothing good to commend the heinous acts that are happening that Friday on Skull Hill. But Jesus prays to God that he would forgive them. And just in case the father said, what in the world makes you think they deserve any forgiveness? He, he gives them the only benefit of the doubt that he can. They know not what they do. Here are two facts about sin. All sin. We've seen already that sin is wicked. Now we see sin is ignorant. We saw that from the first sin in Genesis 3. The only reason Eve ate of the fruit is because she had been deceived by the serpent who tricked her into thinking that if you eat of this fruit, you'll know as much as God does. You'll have all the knowledge of good and evil. And when she ate of the fruit, she did not know everything God knew. The only thing she and Adam knew after sinning was that they was naked. And they were ashamed. That's the truth about all sin. Listen, sin will make you stupid. Y'all not in here with me tonight. Ask, ask Samson after his bad haircut. Sin will make you stupid. Ask Jonah trying to run from the God who is everywhere. Sin will make you stupid. Ask Solomon, the wisest man who ever lived, who ended his life by saying vanity of vanity. All is vanity. Jesus says they don't know what they are doing. And you're tempted to argue with Jesus and say, Jesus, that's not true. They, they didn't know what they were doing. They didn't accidentally crucify you. They knew what they were doing. They, they didn't accidentally drop a crown of thorns on your head. They didn't accidentally lie in court on you. They didn't accidentally spit in your face. They did know. Jesus seems to say, well, they, they knew, but they didn't really know. They knew the act, they didn't know the meaning. They, they knew the act, they didn't know the significance. They knew the act, they didn't know the impl implications. They knew the act, they didn't know the consequences. They knew the act, but they didn't know the results. They knew, but they didn't know. They didn't know, and we don't know. That they didn't know that in sinning, thinking they were helping themselves, they were actually ruining themselves. 
They didn't know what they was doing. And, and, and they, didn't, they didn't know that even while they were doing evil, they were still serving God. Y'all not listening to me here. Not knowing. <laughs> Doesn't get you off the hook. You leave here, get on the freeway, start speeding. And they pull you over. And you say, oh, I didn't know. you still going to get a ticket. <laughs> not knowing does not excuse you of breaking the law. He is not saying they didn't know to say as if, well, it doesn't matter that they did evil because they didn't know what they were doing. That's not what he's saying. He is saying, Father, even though they didn't know, it was still wrong. They're still guilty. But because they didn't know, I'm asking, Lord, let mercy trump justice. Are you glad tonight? I'm going to just leave y'all alone and go home and shout by myself. Aren't you glad that mercy trumps justice? <laughs> Romans chapter 5, verse 20 and 21. says, now the law came in to increase the trespass, but where sin increased, grace abounded all the more. Yeah, yeah. God gave his law to prove we were guilty. And because of the law, sin abounds. But no matter how much sin abounds, God's grace is always bigger than my sin. Aren't you glad tonight that though they didn't know what they were doing, God knew what he was doing. God knew what he was doing. God knew what he was doing. Old Eve Old Adam, in that garden, ate us out of house and home. They didn't know what they was doing. They thought they were going to know everything God knew, but all they knew was they was naked. They didn't know what they was doing, but even then, God knew what he was doing. Outside, outside, the Garden of Eden, court case was called to order. Justice is ruling over this session. And the law reads the charges against Adam and Eve and all who are in them and declares Justice has to be served. But mercy speaks. Lord, have mercy. Mercy asks for a recess. Just need a little time. If you give me a little time, I'll have an answer for the claims of the law. The Justice gave a recess, just didn't know it would take as long 
as it would take for them to reconvene. It ended up taking 42 generations before court was called into session again. This time it's not outside the Garden of Eden. This time court has been reconvened on the scopes of a skull shape here. The, 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 the minutes of the last session are read. And the prosecutor speaks and says, I want justice. I want blood. And justice says to mercy, I can't delay anymore. You got to present your case. It says, just give me just a few more minutes. Because I think my witness is coming. He's treading the wine press alone. But he is coming. He's got tears in his eyes. But he is coming. He's got a cross on his shoulder. But he is coming. And when he comes, he says, I'm here to pay the penalty. And I'm not going to leave until the penalty is paid. If you think I'll fight, you can nail my hands. If you think I'll run, you can nail my feet. And he stayed there until the debt was paid. Hallelujah. Blessed assurance. Jesus is mine. Oh, what a foretaste of glory divine. Heir of salvation. Purchased by God. Born of his spirit. Washed in his blood. This is. Woo. Anybody else got a story? This is my story. This is my song. Praising my Savior. All the day long. I'm finished. Thank you for your patience tonight. Somebody stand with me. Grab a hand. We're going to pray tonight. Mm. 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 Pastors will be up front when we finish tonight. If you need somebody to pray for you personally, if you need to personally take a step of faith to the Lord Jesus Christ tonight, if you need a church home, we'd be glad to pray for you, show you the way of Christ, welcome you into the church family. Tonight I want to end where I began. I want to challenge you to pray tonight. I read a I read a quote last week from Charles Spurgeon that's been messing me up. I don't have it verbatim, but the essence of it is that there's no way I can understand what happened at the cross and keep enjoying the sins that put my best friend there. As we linger at the cross, we need to ask Jesus, draw me nearer, closer to you, Lord. So that I'll, I'll love what you love and hate what you hate. And then you also, tonight, you got friends and neighbors and co-workers and classmates, family members, enemies, 
who need to run to the cross. If he can forgive the people down there that just nailed him, he can forgive your husband, your wife, your sister, your brother, your son, your daughter. If he can offer forgiveness at that cross, there's nobody too far away that he can't save. Call a name. Call the names as those faces come to your mind, the people in your life that are far from God. Don't wait for me. Pray for yourself that God will draw you closer to the cross. Pray for those in your circle of contact that are far from the cross. Come on, church. Don't wait for me. Run to the cross. Jesus paid it all. Give your life to Christ and surrender to his call. His blood is the way home for all who are lost. Begin again, run to the cross. Begin again, run to the cross. Run to the cross, no reason to delay. Sin is left to stay, Christ can wash it all away. Blood is the way home for all who are lost. Begin again, run to the cross. Begin again, run to the cross. Oh, you can begin again, you can begin again. Past is not the end. You can begin again. You can begin again. In spite of your sins, begin again. Run to the cross. Begin again. Run to the cross. The Lord bless you and keep you tonight. The Lord calls his face to shine on you and be gracious toward you. The Lord lift his countenance unto you and grant you his peace. In the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. The church said amen. Thanks for listening to Cutting It Straight with Pastor H.B. Charles Jr. If you would like more resources from Pastor Charles or to support this ministry, he can be reached online at www.hbcharlesjr.com That's hbcharlesjr.com Join us again for Cutting It Straight and God bless.